transition now to my message, um, and it's going to be a little shorter tonight. We don't have a lot of time, and so, and I also have a fresh commitment to preach under an hour, so with all that said, um, I'm, <laughs> I want us to, pr- I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started, okay? So bow your heads with me. Yeah, Father, we just thank you that you are a good dad. We thank you that you give good gifts to your sons and daughters. We thank you that you don't hold back anything good from your sons and daughters. We thank you for the new life we have in Christ, God, that we can approach your throne of grace with freedom and with confidence, God, with boldness as your children, God. And Lord, I thank you for tonight, for just the powerful testimonies that were shared about this retreat. I pray that God, faith and hope will rise and stir in our hearts today. And Lord, I declare every ear and eye and heart open. Open, God, to the words that are leaving my mouth, that it will be anointed, that it will bring clarity, God, and peace into our hearts. Holy Spirit, we just enthrone you and we welcome you here. And in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I want you to open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. Um, You know... I grew up in church. I grew up in a Methodist church, okay? And this church was very conservative, didn't have moves of the Holy Spirit, and I didn't really, I wasn't familiar with, uh, like, gifts of the Spirit or manifestations or that kind of stuff. But my church was a Jesus-believing, Bible-believing church, and so good stuff was happening in my church. But um, for various reasons, I wasn't really feeling it. Uh, I had a broken home and, like, a lot of, like, issues, unforgiveness. So I didn't really connect with God, even though I had gone to church continually since I was, like, seven. And I remember, though, I went to one retreat, a youth retreat. I think I was in eighth grade. And it was called Chrysalis, okay? And, and basically, it's like you, um, it's like a journey for three days. And you start off, and, and then you're like a caterpillar. And then the second day, you're in a cocoon. And the third day, you break out as a butterfly. And then, so like, there's like different, the- different themes every day. And it's like ju- your journey through this like metamorphosis of, of caterpillar to butterfly. So that after that, we're like free to fly, right? So that, um, my eighth, eighth grade Rona, uh, it's just around the same time I started smoking weed, started drinking, started like um, being promiscuous with guys. Eighth grade Rona went to the retreat, and then I was like, I, I mean, like it was, it was like dry and conservative, I guess. But where God is, where His Word is declared, where Jesus is enthroned, like He moves. Okay, so He moved in my heart. Um, and and just the gospel became real to me in various ways, and so then. I, I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, God, you're real. You died for me. Like you did all of this for me. And like, because of you, because of what you've done, I'm going to go home and I'm never going to be the same again. Okay. And like, I started to make all these vows and commitments to God. And I started off by, I picked up, I decided like, you're not going to smoke weed. You're not going to drink. You're not going to even look at boys anymore ever. You're not going to talk to them. And like, I, um, there's like this one girl that I really like, She's like, um, you know, like really like manipulative and really like, she's like the queen bee, right? And so like every time I got in trouble, it's because I was with her trying to please her or whatever and she, whatever. So then at first person I called when I go home, I called her and I was like, yeah, so, um, yeah, we're not friends anymore. <laughs> I was like, I'm never going to listen to you again. And like, I, I know Jesus now and like, I don't even need you. And I just said all this stuff and she's like, <gasps> okay, um, like, who are you? And like, 
it's so weird. And, and, um, I like, you were way more fun before Jesus or something. <laughs> I was just like, I was like, kind of, I just went like crazy, right? Crazy for Jesus. And I was like, I'm going to be really good. God, thank you. And then it lasted for like two weeks. And then I was like, oh, like all my friends suck and they're mean. And like, I, but who else am I going to hang out with? You know? So then I just continue to go with them. And then like, you know, I, but I like boys and like, I can't help it, God. <laughs> like I went to the park. I'll, I'll just go to the parties, God. I don't have to drink though. I'm not going to get wasted. And then I end up getting wasted. And so then after like a month, I was like, never mind. Like I'm not a butterfly. You know? <laughs> never mind. I'm not a butterfly. I'm not flying with you, Jesus. And then, and then I just thought like, so it was an epic fail. Like God didn't move. I didn't really meet him. And like, Never mind, you know, I, and like it, it solidified the fact that what I had already thought about my doubts about the power of God and like how he's real. I was really already like on the road of like, it's not real. God's not alive. My doubts were so solid. But then after I like went back to my old ways after this retreat, it was like 100% certain. Now I know for sure God doesn't change lives. Like it's just a retreat high, whatever. So I kind of like... I kind of was very disillusioned after that experience because it seemed so real at the moment. And then I went back to my old life. And then I, I really, um, I didn't experience God again until I came here as a college student at a retreat. And part of me was also like really doubtful. Like, am I experiencing something? And am I going to go back to my old ways? But this time something changed. This time I didn't go back to my old ways. This time it was solidified and established. And, and it's not necessarily something that I did, but it's what God revealed to me. He gave me wisdom and how to walk after, how to walk after he does a powerful move in your life, what to do, how to steward that, maintain it and continue to go towards the Lord. And so tonight I want to give that wisdom to each of us to navigate through this next season of our lives after retreat post powerful encounter with God. Okay. And we're going to look through, um, a story in the Bible about the Israelites that a lot of us are familiar with in Exodus. Okay. So I want us to turn to Exodus chapter 13. And I believe that God is going to speak to us very specifically and practically through the Israelites experience with him. Okay. <laughs> Let's start with verse three and I'm going to skip around to verses cause it's pretty long. Right. So just uh, read along with me. Exodus 13, starting with verse 3. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Everyone say leavened bread. bread. All right, skip to verse 8. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, and it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are male shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Ouch. Every firstborn of a man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. 
It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Skip to verse 17 or go to verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Everyone say, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Everyone say, wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from... Uh, Sukkoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. Okay. So this passage, I wanted to read a lot of that, that chunk, because there's a lot of wisdom that we can glean from this experience, this chapter, the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness. What happened right before this, to put it in context, is um, the Israelites had been in bondage, in slavery, okay, to the Egyptians for a very, 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 very long time. And while they were in slavery, they had taskmasters or slave masters. And as you guys know, if you know any kind of slavery, there is like slave drivers who task the workers. Like, you know, you have to work harder, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And they're, they're working the Israelites, working the Israelites, working the Israelites, continually telling them what to do, what to do, work harder, work faster, do this, continually putting heavy burdens on the Israelites, continually making heavy, harsh demands on the Israelites. And these people were, these people of God were enslaved. They were in bondage. Bondage means you're like a slave, you're a prisoner. Okay. When you're a slave, you can't pick your own choice. You can't pick your own life. You can't pick your own destiny. You can't dream for yourself. You don't have freedom to do what you want, to do what you desire. You're enslaved. You're mastered by another. These Israelites didn't have freedom. They were enslaved to the Egyptians. Okay. Along that time, God heard the cry of his people. He was raising up Moses and Aaron to deliver them. Okay. He appears to Moses in a burning bush. You shall go and deliver my people. Moses says, no, a lot of you guys know this story, but they end up going, um, the Lord does miraculous work and, and astounds the Egyptians and the Israelites with his power. Eventually, Pharaoh says, go, get out of here, right? Go and get out of here. And this passage picks up when the Israelites are about to book it, okay? And then God gives some very weird instructions, very specific instructions. Okay, as you're leaving, um, one, I want you to eat unleavened bread, okay? Unleavened bread. And I want you to remember this moment forever. And when your little people, when your sons ask, hey, what is, why are we eating this flat bread that doesn't taste as good as the risen bread? Okay. Why are we doing this little holiday? Um, you're going to tell them it's to remember the deliverance of the Lord bringing you out of slavery from Egypt, all of the, all of time, you're always going to tell your sons, your children, your children's children, how God moved in your life. And you're going to eat unleavened bread while you tell the story. And it's going to be a reminder to you. You're going to remember what I did for you, what I did for your people. Okay. 
Um, they had to eat unleavened bread. It's bread without yeast. Yeast is what makes the bread rise. Okay. So they didn't have time to wait until the, it takes time. They didn't have time to let the yeast do its work and for the bread to rise. Why? Cause they just had to eat really quickly cause they had to book it. They, they were about to leave and flee for their lives. So we don't have time to sit around and wait for the bread. Okay. So that's why when they eat the flat bread, it's like, Oh, it's when we had to book it out of Egypt. Okay. It's a reminder. It's a reminder. So, um, God makes this new holiday as they're leaving. And, um, every time a little kid is asking, why are we eating this yucky bread? It's to remember. And the parents are supposed to tell the children about what God has done. Okay. Um, then it says that as they, as they started to go, a pillar of fire, a pillar of fire. Okay. I don't, anybody ever seen one of those before? Pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud, okay? Pillar of fire led them by night. A pillar of cloud led them by day. And these are symbolic of the Lord's presence. And God was saying, I'm going to lead you through this next step. After I deliver you out of Egypt, I'm going to give you my presence, and it's going to lead you and tell you where to go. The pillar of fire by night, the pillar of cloud by day, okay? His presence was always promised to his people to deliver them, to to make a way for them in this next step of their life. And I think you guys can make a lot of connections. There's a lot of symbolism here in this passage. One, Egypt is the old. Okay? Egypt is the old. Egypt is the former. And if the retreat theme was forget the former things, um, do not uh, dwell on the past, behold, I'm doing a new thing, forget the former things, it doesn't necessarily mean like forget everything. It's not saying have amnesia. Okay? Um, Who are my parents? What is my name? Right? Like, no, forget, forget the old self, forget that, that the person that's full of shame and condemnation, forget the sin, forget the old mindsets, forget the, the stuff that used to weigh you down, forget about it, forget the old religion, the way of doing things just for the sake of doing it. I'm doing a new thing, okay? And in the Christian life, it's always about moving into greater levels of glory, greater levels of intimacy, greater levels of oneness and alignment with God's heart. So forget the former things. I'm doing a new thing. And Egypt is the old, okay? God delivers the Israelites out of Egypt. It's a place of bondage. It's a place of the old. It's a place of slavery, okay? It's, it's being ruled by something other than God. Egypt is a place when we are ruled by something other than God. The Israelites were physically ruled by the Egyptian slave masters, right? But in our Egypts, what are we ruled by? Is it fear? Fear of man, fear of rejection, fear of failure? Is it relationship? Is it a friend that we're trying to continually get the approval of? Is it a relationship with our significant other, our girlfriends, our boyfriends that we know is harmful for us or we know is taking us away from God, is, is causing blockage in our hearts, but we can't because we're ruled by it. The fear of losing that person or that thing is greater than our fear of the Lord, right? Egypt is a place where we are ruled by anything other than God. And that's sometimes even ourselves. Some, some of us, our own self is our Lord. We worship ourselves, our own needs, our own desires, and we exalt ourselves over the Lord, right? And so Egypt is the old, and he's continually delivering us out of Egypt into the new, okay? Wilderness, wilderness. After he brought them out of Egypt, he took them into the wilderness, okay? Wilderness is symbolic of transition. It says that he could have taken them on, the, on a route that was closer and easier um, by the Philistines, okay? But he chose to lead them in the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And at first glance, that looks like it's messed up, right? Why don't you go the easier route, God? 
Why do you lead them through the wilderness toward an, a sea? You know, you're going to lead them by your pillar, but then they're going to see that there's a, like a big body of water. That's hecka confusing, right? It's like you're setting them up to doubt. But God specifically leads them through a certain path, a certain way, okay? A path where they would have to rely on him to lead. They'd have to rely on him for provision. They'd have to rely on his voice to know what to do next. They'd have to rely on his supernatural, miraculous power to get through the Red Sea. Because ain't nobody got any way to get through the Red Sea, okay? He specifically led them to a place where it's impossible. I don't know if you guys ever had that situation where it's like, it's completely impossible, God. Like, I don't have anything, right? I have no answer for you, God. But he led them to that impossibility, okay? Why? Because if you never face a situation that's impossible, you're never going to see God break through the impossible. He, lets you, he leads you on a way where you're going to have to encounter him, rely on him, lean on him to get you through in his grace, okay? The wilderness is all about us encountering him in a greater level of intimacy, letting go of, of the past. It's, Egypt is, is familiar. Egypt is what we know. But we're not in Egypt anymore. So now we don't know what's... It's, just, it's uncomfortable around us. It's, it's in a wilderness. We don't know what to do. But we rely on God in a deeper way. We learn to hear his voice. We learn to depend on him. The, the wilderness is meant for greater intimacy with God. Okay? That's what it is symbolic of. Remember that Isaiah 43, our theme for the retreat said, God, I will make a way in the wilderness. I will make a way where there was no way, right? It says God will make a way in the wilderness. And a lot of times when we come back from retreats, when we have powerful encounters with God and we experience like difficulties or difficult seasons or difficult situations, we think, well, God, you did all this for me. So now I have to do all this for you, right? I'm going to make all these vows and these commitments and make sure I don't mess up because you, you blessed me. So I need to make sure I make a way in the wilderness, but it says God makes a way in the wilderness. He makes streams in the desert, right? It's not your responsibility. It's God. God is the one who makes a way. God's the one who leads by his presence, okay? And I want us tonight to kind of discern what is our response and our responsibility to the moves of God and what is God's responsibility. Because God will not do what we're responsible for. And we should not do what God is responsible for. And in this passage, in this chunk of scripture, it's clear to see the things that God wants us to do and the things that God says, I'm going to do. Don't you worry about it, okay? And I think that it's going to help us to walk in wisdom after we experience, um, you know, breakthrough and and different things that God did at the retreat, all right? So, uh, one, we have to focus on what God has done not what on you need to do, okay? The focus is on what God has done, not on what you need to do, all right? Do we need to be disciplined and and focus on doing the right thing? Yes, but the greater attention needs to be put on what God has already done, okay? What God has already done. This passage says, Remember what God has done. Tell your children when they ask, hey, what are we eating the bread for? Hey, what is all this for? Tell them, tell them, remember what God has done, that he delivered you out of Egypt, and tell them about all his mighty deeds. Tell them about how he rescued you, okay? Tell them. 
Focus on what God has done, not on what you need to do. You see, power, the power of life and death is in the tongue, Proverbs says. So whenever we speak negatively, whenever we speak death, death happens. When we speak life, life happens. Okay, there's power in what we speak. So whenever you're speaking about what God has done in you, you know, God has set me free from this. God revealed this to me. It's not just sharing it for that person, but it's mostly for you. You are bringing life into what God has done. God has set me free. When you exclaim it from your very mouth, you're establishing yourself in truth, right? You're establishing and sealing the work of God in your life. Whenever God created the world, the heavens and the earth, it says he spoke and creation was. He spoke, let there be light. Let us make man in our image. He spoke and it was. And as his sons and daughters, when we speak, there's creation, there's life in our mouth. So when you say, God has set me free, you're creating life and power over yourself that testimony is becoming realer. If it already happened, you're establishing yourself in it in a greater measure. Do you know what I mean? So it's powerful that you speak out and remember what God has done. Them testifying, the the people who came up here and testified, yeah, you guys were blessed, but as they proclaimed it from their very mouth, it's like they were sealing that work in their own heart, okay? You're establishing yourself in the place of victory and faith. So do it for yourself, but also Revelation 19 says, 1910 says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So whenever you tell your story, you're establishing yourself in it in greater measure, but you're also releasing a prophetic word over all who hear. Faith comes from hearing the word. Faith comes through hearing the mighty moves of God. Whenever my, um, whenever I was in high school, my mom had a crazy, um, brain aneurysm on the verge of rupturing, almost died. A lot of you guys know this story. And um, it happened, she was, she had surgery for that. But my first year in Korea in 2011, she um, had another one. She had another brain aneurysm. And I, she said, come home immediately. Like my brother called, mom's going to die. Come home immediately. And, and we all started fasting and praying. And every three hours, I kept getting a new phone call. Actually, it's not as severe of a condition as they thought. Actually, the first CAT scan said it was a big lump, but now it's so small. Hey, actually, did you book your flight? You shouldn't come home because it's so small. We can't, they can't even operate on it. Hey, actually, it's nothing. The doctors are super confused because the tests are all wrong from the initial thing, and she's going home tonight. And I was like, good thing I didn't buy the plane ticket, you know? But then, um, seriously, though, um, whenever I found that testimony, dang, Whenever we pray for healing, my mom was supernaturally healed. Like the doctors are confused about how she's healed, right? I just held on to that one and I told it to whoever I could, whatever I could. And then I went to missions to Jakarta last summer. Jakarta, Indonesia. Anybody from Indonesia in the house? Hey, you two? Okay, three? Okay. And then, uh, <laughs> Josh, Josh. <laughs> okay. And um, I went to Indonesia and, and, one, one, Pastor Emily from our church, next week she's our speaker here. Oh, Sam was with me. Oh, okay. And then, um, and then I was a team leader, and um, we went to this church on Sunday morning. It was after a lot of us had stomach pain or whatever, and um, 
And Emily's like, oh, you're going to preach at this service. And I was like, okay. So I, I just asked the Lord what to preach on. And God kept saying, you're going to talk about my, the power of Christ's blood and my healing power. And you're going to pray for sick people. And you're going to, um, you're going to talk about, um, the power of my blood to heal. And I was like, well, that's a very intense message. Okay. You know, so I just started, I went up there and I started preaching, but I was really sick that day. So I didn't have time to really think about my sermon, to think it through. And I was like, you're going to have to show up because I, I cannot, I, I'm, I had like excruciating pain in my stomach. So I didn't have time to prepare. I was up all night, like praying against it. And so I went up there and I was like really weak and tired. And then I was just, all of a sudden though, God was like, share about your mom's brain aneurysm and how I was supernaturally healing her. And I was like, okay. So as I shared though, God gave me more and more and more details. And I kept talking about it, kept talking about it. The whole message was almost about my mom's brain aneurysm and her supernatural healing. And then after I, we prayed for like various groups of people and families, but afterward there was a pause. And then the pastor, he took the mic with tears in his eyes. And he said, I don't know how you knew to preach on this. This is not a message we normally hear, but um, one of our beloved sisters of our church, she fell off a ladder and she hit her head and she has severe brain um, issues right now. And she's in the hospital getting surgery and we've been praying, but a lot of us have felt so hopeless because we don't know that we, we don't, we don't know what to do. It looks like it's, it's just game over. It looks like there's no hope, but today we know that God can heal from brain damage. We know that God can move supernaturally in a situation that it looks impossible. And we have never heard a testimony before of him healing the brain supernaturally like he healed your mom. And they just began to pray and faith rose in their hearts that God, the same God that healed my mom from this serious brain condition can heal this woman as well. Okay. Why do we share testimonies of God breaking us free of God moving in our life? Even if it's small, it's because as you share, it releases faith to people. Okay. It releases faith to people. Whenever I share about abuse, about my dad, about how I grew up, about all the different struggles I've had, I'm not just doing it to share about how messed up I was or like, you know, let me just talk for a long time about my past. It's because I know that there are certain people in the room who can identify with what I've gone through and they hear about how God set me free and they think, man, if she can be set free from that, I can be set free from that too. Okay, why do we share testimonies? Because it's a spirit of prophecy over all who hear. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. Okay, why, why, why did these, um, why does the Lord instruct the Israelites who he delivered out of Egypt? He says, tell your sons, tell your children. It's because they never got to hear God's voice. They didn't hear and see his miraculous power in the way their parents or their grandparents did. And God's saying, I want them to know me too. I want them to know my grace and my might and my power and my love and my commitment for you. You share it to your sons and your daughters. You tell them the story of my deliverance over your life. They can claim it. They can claim me as their God as well. They can know me. And I know that there are people in your life, guys, who've never heard about the powerful moves of God. People in your life who've never experienced it personally for themselves. People who've never tasted and seen his goodness. And you think that, oh, I'm getting blessed. I'm getting set free. It's so good. Yay, Lord. Yay, Jesus. Thank you for loving me. But it's for you, but it's also for them. And you're, you're commanded to tell, remember and to tell because he wants to do the same thing in their life because he loves them. He loves them. 
Why do we share? It's not to brag or boast, guys. Like, what are we going to, what am I going to boast about? You know, like, ah, I was almost alcoholic. You know, like, that's not anything I can be proud about. But I boast in the Lord because he's powerful. And whenever you share with other people, you're boasting the Lord about what he's done. It allows them to know a personal God who cares about them too, who cares about their freedom, who wants to deliver them out of their Egypts into the promised land as well. Okay. He also says, so he says, remember what I did, tell about what I did. And he also says, eat unleavened bread. Okay. Eat unleavened bread. And as I was reading this, I was like, okay, what is this supposed to mean for us? Uh, I kind of picture unleavened bread looking like naan at an Indian restaurant, right? It's like flat. And then I'm like, oh, that's yummy. But like, what's the point? What's the point? And uh, is it just because like we didn't have time to let the, let the bread rise. We got to book it. So eat unleavened bread. You can remember what I did. God said, eat unleavened bread. So you can remember the Exodus from Egypt, but God, isn't there more? And I did a little research. Okay. I did a little research and there is more because unleavened bread is like a foreshadowing of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. And the reason is, is because yeast, which is the leaven. Okay. Yeast, which is the leaven. You're right there. Ye- okay. Yeast is leaven and yeast is what makes the bread rise. Okay. If you don't put yeast or leaven into the bread, it remains flat, which is what the Israelites ate as they left Egypt. Okay. And God says, even after this, when you're celebrating this, you're going to do the same thing to your bread. And in this passage, um, yeast, which makes the bread rise Yeast is also what makes the process of fermentation and decay possible. That rising is actually a process of fermentation and decay, okay? Fermentation and decay or death. And what this is symbolic of actually is that death and decay and sin were in leavened bread. We're in our regular bread. But God says, hey, take out the thing the death and decay process from this bread that you're going to eat as you're delivered out of Egypt. Okay. Later on, when Christ comes into the picture, he says, I am the bread of life. Eat my bread. My bread is like flesh. My flesh is like bread. It's going to give you eternal life. Right. And he is the bread of life with no sin, no decay, no death. His death overcame sin and death in all of us. Right. So God says, eat unleavened bread as you tell about all my powerful deeds, removing you from the enslavement, the bondage of the Egyptians. Basically, it's saying, take the new life you have in Christ, this new bread of life in Christ. It's not eat your own work and toil and how holy can you be for God? How many quiet times are you going to commit to do evangelize to 27 people after the retreat and then da 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 and fall short? No, 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 no. Okay. You eat unleavened bread. It's the life of Christ in you. There is no sin, no death, and no decay. And when you eat this bread of life, that's your life now. You are not just, I'm not just Rona post-retreat who's more holy, right? I, the old Rona is dead, and I take the bread of life. I take this life of Christ. I'm resurrected in the new life of Christ. There is no sin with with power over me. There's no death. There's no decay. I have a new life in Christ. Eat unleavened bread, right? It is a sign. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus, of our life in him. 
It's God communicating and reminding you that there's no trace of sin and death on you anymore in this life in Christ. You are dead to the old self. You're alive in Christ. <clears throat> you know, I, I tried really hard when I got back from my, you know, in, like uh, my retreat in youth group to do a bunch of stuff for God. But he didn't command me to call up all my friends, make all these vows and commitments, and do all that stuff. He calls us to do three things. Remember what he did. Tell about it. And eat unleavened bread, which is claim this life in Christ. You can't do anything apart from Christ, okay? It's everything that you have in Christ, okay? If you abide in him, all things are possible for you, okay? It's not what you can do in your own zeal and striving. It's what you have access to freely in him. You know, Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. And you know when you're under the yoke of Jesus and when you're under the yoke of Egypt, okay, the old, the former things. Because in Egypt, the taskmasters, the slave drivers were always telling the, Egypt, telling the Israelites, you ought to do this, you must do this, you have to work harder, you need to do this. It's always a voice of condemnation and accusation, a heavy, heavy burden. But the yoke of Jesus is easy and light. So after a retreat, you have to be discerning. Is this yoke easy or is it light? Because the yoke of Jesus is light. So if you find yourself continually struggling with accusation and condemnation, what you ought to do, falling short, that's not, that's not the place that God is leading you to. That's Egypt. That's a slave driver mentality. God is not a slave driver, okay? Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. So point number one, when you see God moving powerfully in your life, do not focus on what you need to do. Focus on what God has done. Remember, tell, eat unleavened bread. Eat the bread of life. Okay? Number two, focus on his presence and not the wilderness. Focus on his presence and not the wilderness. And what I mean by this is God gave the the Israelites a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud to lead them. And he said, this these, this presence will never depart from you. Every step of the way, guess what? My presence is leading you. My presence is with you, okay? They weren't responsible for finding their own path, for finding their own way, for making their own schedule, for making it all happen, for parting the Red Sea. They only had to follow where the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud led them. The wilderness, guys, the season after retreat, when, or a powerful move of God, whenever we go back to the daily grind, we got our responsibilities, we have people to deal with, we've got a lot of different temptations lurking around the corner, maybe confusion, disappointment, whatever. It's not meant to be hard. It's meant to be a time of greater dependence and intimacy on God, learning to cultivate the hearing of his voice, learning to know how to walk in his ways, learning to be obedient to his leading. That is what the wilderness is for. It doesn't have to be so hard. It doesn't have to be so bad okay um it can be a bit uncomfortable but the discomfort is meant to lead us into the presence of god into the presence of the comforter which is the holy spirit okay um you know sometimes guys there's there's breakthrough that god works in our life and then after that we go into a season of testing and it gets super hard. It gets super difficult. And we think, is God punishing me? Or am I being set up for failure? Or why did I experience this? And now it's harder than ever. But 
Testing always has the purpose. God always allows testing in our lives to promote us, not to punish us. Testing happens and then things are exposed in our heart, areas of our heart where, where God is not the Lord of our lives, where he's not Lord, they're exposed. Why does he do that? To punish us? No. But we cannot be set free and we cannot make him Lord of our life. We can't confess and repent for sin that's still hidden and still uncovered. God brings us to testing so that the things of our heart can be exposed so that we can repent, confess, receive forgiveness, and be set free. He tests us to promote us, not to punish us. And a lot of times we go through difficult times. We go through testing and we're like, ah, you just want me to perish here. You want me to die. I'm worse off than before the retreat. I'm not like I I had my hopes up and now I'm even more disappointed. What the heck? But it's to promote us, never to punish us. It's to cause us to depend on him more right not to separate us from his presence so focus on the presence not on the wilderness it's about intimacy and promotion not on fear and doubt okay when our focus is not on the pillar of cloud the pillar of fire when our focus is not on the presence of god and our focus is on the wilderness and our surroundings fear and doubt start creeping in okay The Israelites saw the Egyptian army coming after them. They just saw God do all these crazy miraculous things in Egypt. They just saw him, um, like, like do supernatural signs and wonders that they'd never seen before. Okay. And now an Egyptian army is coming after them and they begin to, to doubt and fear the Egyptians, not the God who just sent an angel and every firstborn Egyptian son was dead, but every Israelite son was spared, right? They, they did not fear the God who did that. They feared an Egyptian human army coming after them. And they began to say to God, they began to say to Moses, did you just bring us out here? Cause there's no graves in Egypt. Did you just bring us out here so that we could die? Like at least in Egypt, we were alive, you know, but now we're going to die in the wilderness. And then, do you know how stupid that is? Like, to God? Like, what the heck? I, you, you think I'm going to let you die now after all we've been through? I mean, like, I would say that. And then I would be like, forget y'all. <laughs> like, after all I've done for you, but I'm not God. He's way more patient. And then, um, but like an Egyptian army, okay? The past. Past habits, past mindsets, past shame, past sin, past doubts started coming after the Israelites, like following them. And they're faced with a Red Sea and impossibility. And then they're, they're past haunting and coming after them. And they say, I'm just going to die. And God, you're not so good. And you just are going to forget about me. And I'm going to die here. Okay. I wonder if we feel like that sometimes too. I know I have. And sometimes I'm like, man, I just, I just had breakthrough about this area of my life, but I see my past. I see past struggles and past shame, past sin, past issues. And it's like coming and it's haunting me. And God, it is, I can't go forward. I don't know what to do. And all this stuff is going to overtake me. And God, did you just leave me here to die? You just want me to perish here, you know, <laughs> like so dramatically. But God was leading them to the Red Sea leading them to this impossible situation so that he could show his power and strength and might and commitment to them in a greater level than they've ever seen before. Yet the people took their eyes off God and focused on the sea and focused on their past way too much, right? In Exodus 14, a chapter later in verse 10, 11, it says, they saw the Egyptians and feared greatly, okay? Egypt is a symbol of sin patterns and the past, 
And you know what, guys? I think sometimes God will allow one last entrance of the Egyptians in our life. After we had a crazy encounter with him, deliverance, freedom, there's like one more one more entrance of the Egyptians in our life. And in that moment, it's like worse than it's ever been. And we're like, man, they're like a whole army now. And it looks like there's no escape. But sometimes God will let that one last time come where we either, and if we will hold on to him, if we will keep our eyes on him, it's because he's like, I'm wiping them out for good. I drew them out here after you so that I could wipe them out with the flood of the Red Sea. I want to deliver you fully, and I want to wipe it out for good. I want to uproot that pattern in your life for good. Yeah, one more exposing of it, one more entrance of the Egyptians so that I can uproot it forever. Okay? But we think they're coming after us, and it's game over for us. Like, God, you did a lot, but here they come, and now I'm going to die. I can't get through this, right? But God is saying no. It's done. After this, you're never going to see it again. On the brink of our greatest breakthrough, guys, sometimes it gets a little bit more difficult. But you have to focus on the presence, not on the wilderness. In Exodus 15, uh, the next chapter over, 22, 25, verse 22, 25, it says that God was still leading them, providing for them, but they continued to focus on the wilderness, and they came to an area called Mara, okay, which means bitter. And they came to some, they didn't have water to drink for like three days. They began to drink from the water of Mara, and it was bitter. They couldn't drink it. And then they began to cry out to God again. God, are you just leaving us out here to die? Okay. He just parted a sea, and he wiped out an entire army. But now the water is bitter, and I have nothing to drink. Okay. Like, literally, every step they made, they focused on the wilderness rather than the magnificent pillar of cloud and fire that was ever before them that never departed from them right and when you focus on the surroundings and the difficulties and the bitter things of your life and not in the presence of god things get distorted and out of proportion out of order and and then god though loves them and he turned the bitter waters into sweet water God will let us encounter bitter situations because he wants to do a miraculous work again. He wants to turn the bitter into sweet in our lives. Will you let him do it? Will you believe him for it? Don't focus on the wilderness more than on the presence of God. He is moving in your midst, but do you perceive it? Um, Your responsibility is to fight for intimacy, to press into God, to desire to love him more, okay? His responsibility is to deliver, to break you through, to set you free, to make a way where there was no way, okay? Do not take the Lord's responsibility into your own hands. Are you waiting for a breakthrough? Are you waiting for an answer? Are you waiting for a freedom in a certain area of your life? That's not up to you. You can't do it. You can't part the Red Sea. You can't wipe out the Egyptians. God is responsible for that. You're responsible for remembering, telling, claiming the life of Christ. You're responsible for pressing into intimacy with him and fixing your eyes on his presence, letting him lead you, letting him make a way for you where there was no way. Last, number three, focus on, focus on, focus on what God has given you, not on what you lack. 
Focus on what God has given you, not on what you lack. Pastor Will said, do not think about horizontal blessings, but think about the vertical relationship, right? Your friend got tongues. Your friend got slain. Your friend had this breakthrough. You didn't get anything at the retreat, okay? You didn't get tongues and you wanted tongues. You didn't get this breakthrough. You wanted that breakthrough. You didn't get your expectations met. Stop it, okay? Hey, if you focus on what you didn't get, you cannot see what you did get. Your story is different than everyone else's, okay? God's story for you is supposed to look different because he's a personal God with something just in store for you. So don't look at what other people got. Don't look at what you lack. They wanted the meat of Egypt, but they didn't see the manna from heaven, the quail that God provided, the sweet water, right? God will give you what you need in due time. Do not focus on what you don't have, what you didn't get, what you lack. Focus on what God is doing in your life, and you will be set free and blessed. I feel like a lot of us, even if we have powerful testimonies, even if God moved, when we compare ourselves to others or we compare ourselves to our own expectation, we're like, I'm only, I only lack, I only lack, I only lack, I only lack. I don't have this gift. I don't have this gift. I don't have this revelation. I don't have this anointing, whatever. And I feel like God is saying, no more of that. No more of that. You will not go to the next thing I have for you if you focus on what you do not have. And I don't know if that's for people who went to the retreat or for people who didn't go to the retreat or for all of us, but I feel like today God wants to remove the lack mentality from our minds. And so I want to have Bo on the keys, and I'm going to close with um, just a time of prayer.